Good morning, Reach Church. It's good to be with you. And join me in prayer. Father, it is, it is good to sing your praises. It is good to sing of the salvation that we have found in you. Thank you that we can praise you, that you are our Savior, that we can cry out Hosanna, that you have saved us, that we'd be lost without you. And, and we have nothing to claim for our own salvation, but we have only Christ and his blood, that he has washed us clean, he has saved us. Father, would you bless the, the teaching and preaching of your word? Would it be a spirit-empowered? Would you speak into our hearts and change not just our minds, but our, our hearts and our wills and our loves, that we may honor you and rejoice in our relationship, our friendship that we have with you? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, anyone for Reach Kids can head out now, if they haven't already. And we are continuing in our series. Uh, actually, we're kind of jumping into the meat of our series. Our series, uh, Everyone Needs a Friend. That everyone needs a friend. And today we're looking at uh, the quintessential friendship uh, in the Bible. We're looking at, let's hope this doesn't hurt me. Uh, we're looking at David and Jonathan. We're looking at David and Jonathan today. And this is uh, undoubtedly the greatest friendship in Scripture, possibly the greatest friendship in history. The greatest friendship in history. And it, we see the language that it describes here. It's the, the knitting together of souls. That these men love each other as if, uh, as if they were themselves. Fulfilling the commandment to love one another as we love ourselves. Uh, a love that, that transcends what we'd even imagine in a friendship. Now, I think we have to, we have to deal with the fact that this friendship kind of makes us uh, uncomfortable, or we don't know what to do with it. That when we see it described, it, it feels too intimate. It's, uh, it's such extreme language that is used. We, we don't even know what to do with it as a culture. And as a culture, actually, um, our kind of generation of theologians and, uh, and interpreters can only explain this friendship, and they say, well, maybe it was a homosexual relationship. They, they can't figure out how it could be uh, filled with such love and such intimacy. And I think that's where our culture has lost friendship, has misconstrued it, can't understand it in the way that they ought to that we've kind of so lifted up romantic relationships that the other loves have kind of been, been beaten down and simplified and reduced to kind of a, a secondary type of love. And in this, this love between David and Jonathan, I think scripture challenges us and, and elevates friendship to actually one of the, the highest forms of love. One of those beautiful things, one of those powerful things, uh, one of the, the greatest relationships that we can have in this life. And so today we're going to be looking at this, this relationship between Jonathan and David, uh, mostly looking at Jonathan. And the hope is that we might learn from Jonathan. We might learn how we can be friends like Jonathan is a friend. How can we love our friends as Jonathan did? 
And ultimately, we hope that we'd have that kind of relationship with Christ. That we would actually love Christ as Jonathan did. As he loved David. That we'd have this, this intimacy, kind of beautiful, powerful, um, self-sacrificial friendship with Jesus Christ himself. All right? So when you're looking at, uh, at 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, uh, just a few passages, verses 1 through 4, uh, but we'll kind of venture out beyond that um, and tell the larger story of David and Jonathan. But the hope is we might see how we can befriend one another as Jonathan did, how we can actually be friends with Christ. And we're going to look at this in, in three senses. So we're going to look at the foundation of Jonathan's love for David. Kind of what, what is this love based upon? We're going to look at the covenant between them. The covenant between them. We'll flesh out that language. And then we're actually going to see how that love and that covenant calls Jonathan to, to sacrifice and to death itself. All right? So let's read 1 Samuel verses 18, 1 through 4. As soon as he, that is David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt." This is the, the beginning of the friendship between David and Jonathan. So, let's launch into this. Let's launch into this. So, first off, we want to understand the basis for this profound love between Jonathan and David. What was it founded upon? If we look at verse 1, it actually doesn't help us that much. Verse 1. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now that, that is powerful language there. That is the love that is shared between them. That's Jonathan's love for David. And we wonder, like, where does that intense response come from? Why is Jonathan uh, knit together to David in friendship? I think if we don't explain that, then it it's going to be impossible for us to ever have friendships like this. We just ask, well, I don't know, it's, it just needs to happen kind of magically, spiritually, providentially. But no, if we look at the context, we actually see exactly what's going on here. So we always look at the context, and just before this passage, what happened? David and Goliath. David and Goliath happened. So this is where David kind of displays his faith his courage, his passion for the glory of God before all of Israel. That he steps out and he declares that God is the victorious one. That there is nothing to fear. He has courage in the face of this huge warrior of the Philistines. And David steps out and he represents the people in faith. And just so we can see this, you have to, you have to hear the language. Imagine Imagine him calling out. There's this shepherd boy calling out to this mighty warrior. And here's what he says. 
You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not by sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That's David. That is David and that is who who Jonathan just observed. He just saw that David. And what does David do? David goes and he kills Goliath, takes Goliath's own sword, cuts off his head, and leads the army to destroy the Philistines. Now, it's kind of, do we understand that you could fall in love with this person? But particularly for Jonathan, what was, what was Jonathan like? Jonathan was kind of like this. So a couple chapters before, Jonathan, he's looking at his camp, and his camp is being a bunch of wusses. And they don't want to go fight the Philistines. They're kind of like huddled around the fire. And he says, well, you know what? Shield bearer, you come with me. And he goes and decides, well, if the Lord, if the Lord wants to, he can give the Philistines into my hands. And he prays, and the Lord says, yeah, I'll, I'll give the Philistines in your hands. And he single-handedly goes and, and defeats uh, kind of a, a large number of Philistines. Because by faith, he trusted the Lord to give them, give them into his hand that he would have victory. So these are two men that love to see the Lord be victorious. These are men who are passionate about faith and courage and stepping out in faith to see the Lord honored. Last week we talked about how friendship is built around a common love and a common pursuit, a common goal. Well, for, for David and Jonathan, it's, it's the victory of the Lord. It's the defeat of God's enemies. It's faith and it's courage. And so when he sees David step out and destroy Goliath, he sees that, that, that they share the same love. They share the same mission. They're both battling for God's sake. And so this isn't some kind of just vague notion of like, oh, they see each other and oh, let's be friends. No, it's, they have the most important mission given to anyone to, to fight for the Lord and be victorious in his name. And it's that love that they share that unites them. It's that mission that they share that unites them. And with that understood, we can understand why this is, uh, as scripture says, greater than, than the love between a man and a woman. That their friendship was so strong because that's the bond that they shared. They shared the bond of, of warring for God's sake and fighting for his glory. David and his wives, they didn't do that. They didn't do that together. They weren't fighting for the glory of God. They weren't fighting the enemies of the Philistines. No. They weren't doing that. And that's where there is a, a possibility for friends to be uniquely knit together because they're on mission. 
They're battling evil together. They're, they're pursuing the Lord. And there's something unique about friendship that allows for that kind of relationship. Even spouses, even spouses that you have a lot of other distractions, but a lot of other things that need to be done. Um, but friendships, those can focus almost exclusively on the Lord and on battling evil and Satan and, and fighting for the sake of God. And there's something beautiful in that. So, so what does this mean for us? First of all, what does it mean for how we are to become friends with Jesus? We need to fall in love with Jesus like this. That we see the victory that was Jesus's. We see Jesus's victory on the cross. The way that he has taken up the mantle and destroyed the enemies of God. Destroyed death and Satan and sin. We need to fall in love again with Jesus Christ. And be awestruck by the cross. Awestruck by what he's done. That as Jonathan saw what David did and was knit together in friendship with him, we need to see what Jesus did and be excited about that and ready to be on mission with Jesus to battle with him. That's going to be the basis for a, a real friendship with Jesus Christ. They're actually like really excited about what he's done in his victory. Now for an ordinary friendships between one another, how does this help us? I think we have to recognize that our friendship is only going to be as strong as the thing that we love and the thing that we share. If, if two people share like knitting together, they're probably not going to have this single-minded, soul, deep, passionate love for one another. No. And if we, if we only share a love of sports or, I don't know, a love of shopping or just hanging out and shooting the breeze, our friendships aren't going to look like this. They're not going to be these powerful, awe-inspiring relationships. They're going to be as superficial as the thing that we love. And so the challenge is, with the friendships that you have or the friendships that you make, how can you make them out the glory of God? And fighting for spiritual victory. Battling sin together. It's going to be really hard because you, you can't stay superficial. You can't stay comfortable. You have to do real life on life. Life and death kind of conversations, kind of battles. Revealing your heart to one another. If we're going to have these kind of friendships, that's what needs to happen. All right. Next up, next up. All right, so let's say, let's say we, we muster that kind of love. What does that love naturally lead into? For Jonathan, it leads to covenant. To a covenant. Look at verse 2 and 3. Saul took him, David, that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, what is a covenant? Covenant is it's basically a, a vow. A vow, a vow of allegiance, of faithfulness, of unity. We tend to think of those kind of things in, in terms of marriage, that the marriage vow, that you enter into a covenant with one another. 
that you'll promise to be, to be faithful and to love and to cherish until death. But in this case, this is a, a covenant of friendship. Vows of faithfulness and allegiance. And that's what Jonathan enters into. He's united to David and then he, he declares that he wants to have this, this kind of covenant with him. That he'll be faithful until the end. And it's that covenant that actually keeps, keeps coming up in their friendship. That whenever times get hard, he reminds himself and, and, and reminds David that, no, I'm going to stick with you until the end. That yeah, my dad, my dad Saul is trying to kill you, but I'm going to stand by your side. And yeah, you've been exiled to the wilderness. He, he goes into the wilderness just to encourage David and say, you know what? I made a covenant and when you enter your kingdom, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be standing by your side. And even though Saul the king is going to try to kill me, I'm, I'm still going to be there. And I'm going to be defending you to the last breath. He makes a covenant. A vow of faithfulness. A vow of allegiance to David. Now I think we have, we have a sort of a a parallel to this. We have our, our bro codes and our, our rules that we're supposed to follow when we're with our friends. I assume girls have them too. I don't really know. Uh, you'd have to ask, ask them. Um, but I think a lot of this goes unspoken. Uh, it's a lot of it's taken for granted. And that's where in this relationship, no, they, they spoke about these things. They spoke about the fact that, that they'd be with each other to the end. That that till death, they will have allegiance and faithfulness to one another. And we wonder, we wonder, what would compel someone to enter into that kind of relationship? To have that kind of love for your friend? And it tells us, it tells us in verse 3. It's just because he loved him as his own soul. Because he loved him, he enters into this covenant. And that's where, that's where as you love someone, you naturally kind of enter into allegiance with them. That love actually constrains and it limits our freedom willingly. We, we long to restrain ourselves. And that's what we do in marriage. We, we say, I, I forsake all others for you alone. And in that, our love actually constrains us. That we're limiting our freedom freely so that we can embody that love and show that love. And love is always like that. That the more we love someone, actually, the more that love uh, imposes upon us. It claims more and more of our lives. And yet, we do it willingly. And we do it freely and we do it joyfully. Because that's what we want. We want to be free to love them more. Now what, is that, what does that do for us? If you're in relationship with Jesus, the covenant you have with Jesus is going to call you into less and less freedom. You're actually uniting to him. And I think you, you all know this that you feel like you have less freedom in, in relationship to Christ. And yet, 
I think the hope is that we get to the point where we, we love being bound to Jesus. We love needing him. We love being, being attached to him and serving him. That we can't imagine in any other way. And in our everyday friendships, I have to challenge you that you, you cannot love and be completely free. You cannot love and be completely free. If you're going to have a friendship like this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wreck your life. It's going to change your life. That your time is not your own. Your emotions aren't your own. That you weep with those who weep and you rejoice with your friend who rejoices. That you are tethered to that person. And so, oftentimes, we have a choice. We can be free and untied and independent, or we can love and have these kind of relationships. You can't have it both ways. And oftentimes, our, our culture and our own hearts, we want freedom. And we say, I don't want to be tied down. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to dictate my life. I don't want to be uncertain as to what you're going to require of me. And we kill friendship. We kill whatever friendship we would have. I would challenge us. Right, that's a deliberate choice we need to make. Do you want these kind of relationships and friendship? Or do you want to be free and unattached, independent and alone? You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't. And we try. And that's why all, a lot of our relationships are really superficial. Because we think that, oh, I'll just, I'll just take the good part. But I don't want to invest. I don't want to... I don't want to actually tie myself to this person. But then there's no friendship left. All right. So Jonathan, Jonathan takes that risk. And he enters into the relationship. He, he makes his covenant. And then that covenant calls him to abandon his rights and ultimately it calls him to, to abandon his very life. Look at verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. All right. For those of you who aren't as familiar with just the Bible story in general, uh, we're going to need some context here. And then there's some ancient Near Eastern stuff that we're going to get to. So, First off, these are not normal people. These are not just normal, everyday people. Uh, most of the time, the Bible is not dealing with everyday people. It's dealing with like the, the special people. So these are not normal people in normal relationships. Saul, Saul is the king, the king of Israel. The standing king. And Jonathan is his son. But Jonathan is the prince of all of Israel. This is a, this is a dynasty. This is a, a, a line of kings. Saul, and then he's passing it on to the first in line for the kingship to Jonathan. And yet, David, David's not an ordinary person either. So he was an ordinary person. He was a shepherd. But then God handpicked him out of all of Israel to be the king. To be the God-chosen king, not the people-chosen king like Saul. So just keep that in mind. 
These aren't, these aren't everyday people. And so there's, there's additional meaning when they do things. So when Jonathan takes off his robe and gives it to David, when he takes his sword and gives it to David, these are symbolic actions. This is a prince acting uh, towards another would-be king. And what Jonathan is basically saying is that uh, I'm giving you my kingship. I'm giving you the throne of, the, of Israel. Now why on earth would he do that? Why would he take off his, his royal robes and give them to David? Why would he take the royal sword and, and give it to David? I think he saw that, that David would be the better king. That he was God's king, not the king chosen by man. And that this king who just defeated Goliath by faith and by courage, if he were to lead the whole nation, the nation would be blessed. And the nation would be built up. And if David is going to become king, then Jonathan can't be. Jonathan actually needs to needs not only to, to take off that, that robe, he actually needs to die. He has to die that a new dynasty would be established. That this sinful dynasty of Saul would end and that the Davidic one, the messianic one would begin. Now what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Are you kings and queens? Are you princes and princesses? Yeah, there's some no's and there's some yeses. Uh, I'm going to say yes. Yes, you are. You are the kings and you are the queens of, of creation, actually. That God established us, humanity, as the rulers of the earth. If you, if you look around, like, penguins are not the rulers of the earth. You can just tell. <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> Uh, like, people, people probably are. Like, uh, we're the ones with the zoos. No one, like, we don't go into the zoos. We, we control the zoos. Uh, we're in control. We are the, the sovereign rulers of the earth. We are anointed to be kings and queens. And the problem is that just like Saul's line of kings, our, our reign has been corrupted. It's been infected. And so, yes, we are kings and queens, but we use it to destroy one another's kingdoms and to bring dishonor to God and to pursue sin and death. And so you, you are the ruler of your life, in, in a sense. You are the ruler of your life. You get to make all the decisions. You get to decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Where do you want to spend your money? And you guys are miserable rulers. <laughs> You're miserable. At, I'm miserable at it. We're, we're miserable at this. Uh, our, our whole kingship is, is governed by sin. And it's being destroyed by sin. And that's where, just like Jonathan, we need to take off our royal robes. We need to take off our, our royal sword. We need to get off the throne and we need to give it back to Jesus. 
that Jesus is actually the real king. And he's a better king. He's a victorious king. He's a more courageous king than we are. He can actually defeat sin and death. We can't do it. That we actually give up our control and our kingship to, to our friend Jesus Christ. Knowing that it's going to be better. And that he's going to rule better than we will. What will that look like in your life? What will that look like for you to, to get off the throne of your life and let Jesus on the throne? You got to answer that question. That can't, that can't just be, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, what, is, what does that look like for Jesus to actually rule in your life? And what does this mean for, for everyday friendships? For everyday friendships, it's a little, uh, you don't get to be the kings and queens in your friendships. You don't get to be. Your friends aren't there to, to serve you. You're actually there to serve your friends. That until you get off your throne and, and ask people to stop serving you, uh, you're not going to have friendships. You're going to have manipulative subjects. And it's going to be very messy. And it's not going to look anything like David and Jonathan. We've got to get off our thrones. Not forcing our friends to worship us or, or obey us or carry out our commandments. No. We have to get off of our thrones. So Jonathan symbolically did that. He symbolically did that in this act. Um, but then what actually happens? What actually happens? Um, he's totally rejected by his father. King Solomon um, is, is brutal with his son. Um, in, in chapter 20, verse 30, uh, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen David, the son of Jesse, to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. He's utterly rejected by his father. He's rejected by the king. He is shamed before the people that he would give up his throne. Um, he's, he's almost murdered by Saul himself. He's constantly put in the position of risk. That he's constantly sacrificing for the sake of David. And finally, in fulfillment of prophecy, he is killed. He is killed that his line might end and that King David's line might begin. His love for David actually leads him to be sacrificed. To die that David might rule. But there, there is one kind of odd, odd silver lining to it. So all of, all of Jonathan and Saul's line is wiped out except for one. Jonathan's single son, uh, a lame crippled son named Mephibosheth. So he's, he's paralyzed and he has a terrible name. Mephibosheth. <laughs> bad, bad deal. Um, Mephibosheth. And what do you do when you become king? You kill all the predecessor's kids. You, you wipe out the lines so that no one can challenge the throne. But 
David, because of his love for Jonathan, keeps on Mephibosheth. Let's him spend all his days, every single day at the king's table. And in that sense, there's kind of a, a redemption here. That Jonathan perishes, but his line continues forward. That he lives on through Mephibosheth. And, and they become one of the tribes of Israel. Alright, so that's the greatest of all friendships. That's the story. Who wants to be Jonathan? Who wants to be Jonathan? It's miserable. Why, why would we want to be Jonathan? And why would we want to have the relationship between Jesus that, that he gets to be David and we get to be Jonathan? What's going to compel us to do that? Are we that excited about the cross and what Jesus has done? No, probably not, not really. Um, are we super excited to limit our freedom and give up everything that, all of our autonomy and give it to Jesus? Are we excited to get off of our throne and let Jesus reign and rule in our place? I have to say that uh, probably not. Probably not. And we are not friends like Jonathan because our hearts are not like Jonathan's. We do not love as Jonathan did. We don't sacrifice as Jonathan did. We don't die for the sake of Jesus. Now, I'll go, you guys can all go home. No. Um, so what do we do with that? I think we have to see that as much as Jesus represents David, Jesus also represents Jonathan. Look at Jonathan's life and look at Jesus' life. And we see the parallels. So Jesus, Jesus saw us and he decided he would love us. While we were still sinners, not, not because we were triumphant leaders with victories over Goliath, no, while we are still sinners, Christ loved us. And his heart went out to us. He was united to us in love. He chose us to be his friends. He chose us to be his friends. And he made a covenant, a vow before his father, that I will save these people. That I will love them. I will rescue them from death. I will defend them to the very end. He made that covenant with his father and as a result, just like Jonathan, he perished. He took off his royal robes and put on human ones. He came down to dwell with us and he was destroyed. He was killed. And he was killed so that he might establish our reign. That we might be restored to be kings and queens once more. Not destroyed by sin, not governed by death, but they may live for the righteousness and glory of God. Jesus loved us as Jonathan loves. He loved us. He vowed faithfulness to us and he died to fulfill that vow. That is the power that gives us the, gives us 
an ounce of ability to be like Jonathan. That Jesus loved us as Jonathan did. That ought to cause us to love Jesus. To love him. To want to pursue him as Jonathan pursued David. That we are delighted by Jesus Christ. We are in awe at the, the work that he did on the cross. And we long to love him and to sacrifice for him. As he's already loved and sacrificed for us. And as we know that kind of love. The Jonathan love of Jesus. We're called to go out and love others the same. To love as Jonathan. This is a high calling. And you can't muster this. You have to actually love Jesus. Your heart has to be knit to him. That you'd be willing and, and joyful at the prospect of serving him and, and no one else. That's only going to happen as we, as we fall in love with Jesus on the cross and we see what he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are humbled. We are humbled by the love of Jonathan. And we understand why our friendships do not look like his And we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he loves as we cannot. And that he loved us first. And, and he loved us while we were still sinners. Father, I ask that you would give us a supernatural love for Jesus Christ. A love for glorifying him and honoring him and seeking him and, and dying for his sake. We know, Father, that, that as we do so, we will live on. That as we die, our, just like Mephibosheth, continue the line, we, our line will continue. We will be resurrected. We will live on by the cross. Father, would you work in us and, and show us our lack of love, our lack of sacrifice, that our friendships may reflect the friendship that, that you have given us. Holy Spirit, fill us that we'd have a love like this. It is impossible in and of ourselves. So you'd give it to us, Father, that we honor and glorify you. We pray in Jesus Christ, our friend's name. Amen.